We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Caption Celluloid and Make Time for This, probably a part of the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast family. And on this episode, we're back. We're back to talk about movies. We're back to talk about one of the best movies in quite some time, one of the most successful, one of the most buzziest films in recent weeks, months. And that is Spider-Man. Across the Spider Verse. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I want to apologize to all of the listeners. We were away for a bit longer than usual because I once again went to the city uh, of Milwaukee, this time without Adam, watched a lot of baseball, drank a lot of beer, did not leave a lot of time for movies. But in the week since removing or returning, Removing myself. From, removing yourself. Content. You <laughs> yes, being removed my... from the fabric of Milwaukee. Correct. Uh, Extricated, but... if, if you like. <laughs> I was not asked to leave, but I did leave. Just didn't want to overstay my welcome. Uh, in the last week that I've been home, I've seen a lot of just outstanding movies. The movies are good, Adam. I found myself either sitting on my couch or in a theater just high on life because of the quality of the movies I've seen in the last week or so. Yeah, and TV too. I think it's a TV series. We'll definitely be talking about this very soon, whenever whenever it makes sense to schedule it. And that's always part of the challenge we knew we were going to have this time of year. Um, we were expecting some good stuff, certainly lots of stuff to talk about. Indiana Jones has just come out. Uh, reviews have been mixed, but I look forward to seeing that. Mission Impossible, not far away. Barbie, Oppenheimer, on the horizon. This was always kind of penciled as a big time of the year. And I guess there are some things that we expected to be like really heavy hitting and, and land and some of our favorite filmmakers. And other things that are maybe slightly more of a surprise. Um, You've seen some things that I haven't got to see yet still and 
I think just overall, it's really interesting that it's such a thriving time and that there are so many great movies. I feel like I'm hearing people say that a lot, even on podcasts. Podcasts not about movies. I can listen to two podcasts in the last two days that are not about movies where people were shouting out movies they'd seen and how great a time they had seeing them. I was like, you know, this is... This is my idea of what, you know, culture should be like. And we should all just be going to see movies saying the movies are good and living better lives as a result. So there is there is certainly something fun about that. Um, It's interesting. It's coming at this time of year. Maybe it's something that will need a little bit more runway to kind of work out in the years to come. But there's been something of a shift in when the times of year were, you know, it's it's like summer was always there for summer blockbusters, but there is a more varied range of films now coming out in like these prime summer spots where I think in the past they wouldn't have gone near them. And they're doing so quite successfully. Um, As we record this, the latest tracking and projections for Oppenheimer and Barbie's opening weekend is like projecting the first $200 million weekend in quite a while for for movie theaters generally in the US. So yeah, all signs are pointing in a very positive direction right now. There's a lot of fun stuff to come. Um I feel like the podcast is kind of mapping itself out for us for the next two months, which is a nice thing in its own right. And what we're gonna start with is Spider-Man Across Spider-Verse. Uh the second film in the Spider-Verse series the sequel to 2018's spider-man into the spider-verse which the fact that that film came out five years ago i just continues to like send me into an existential crisis it really feels like it was much more recent than that uh highly acclaimed much beloved film at the time i'll be honest a film i liked quite a lot but I didn't love in the way that everyone else did. So maybe I was somewhat blindsided because I wasn't anticipating across the Spider-Verse in the way that a lot of the real hardcore fans of that first film were. And then I saw Across the Spider-Verse and I was absolutely blown away. Um, This is a masterpiece. This is one of the best animated films I've seen in a very long time. This is right up there top top tier top two top three instantly for me in terms of superhero films and i think there's a lot in here that is really really interesting and it will be interesting for us to talk about in a couple of ways one of those being like we should probably start out with an acknowledgement that we do not talk about superhero films on this podcast very often and there was a time we did a little bit more of it. There was also a time where we tried to record a Spider-Man podcast and that episode was lost. Um, that was for the most recent live action Spider-Man film. Far From Home, No Way Home. Can never remember which one's home. Spider-Man movies have a have a habit of doing this where, you know, there's a one recurring word in the title of each one, which by the time you've got three of them makes it very difficult to remember which is which. Let's start at the beginning for you because you saw this kind of post-hype cycle, certainly post me 
hyping it up. And I'll be honest, Andrew, I could sense the skepticism. I could really, I'm still not entirely sure. I was like, I, I don't know how far your appreciation can go for a movie like this, might be the way I'd put it. Um, and if you feel there is a cap on how much enjoyment you can get out of a superhero movie versus how much enjoyment you can get out of other kinds of movies, maybe other movies we'll talk about on the podcast soon. So I know you saw the first film too. Where were you at with your expectations before you saw this, particularly considering the critical acclaim had been very loud. And then even, even I often the skeptic, often the person who'll be like, Andrew, don't listen to all those people. They're idiots. It's bad. Uh, had very much settled into a group of no, this is amazing, and you you need to see this, and we should probably do an episode on it. There's there's two different things that I'm gonna say that are at odds with one another, but they're both true. Whereas of the superhero movies I like, the Tom Holland Spider Man and Into the Spider Verse going into this were a collection that I really did enjoy. I also just do not get excited to go to the movies to see a Spider-Man movie or any kind of superhero movie. I'm just like not juiced to do it. So the reticence that you got from me at that time was not necessarily doubt, was more just it felt like it's it's one of the movies that truly it feels like homework going into it. And then when I'm in the seat, I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. So like Tom Holland, Spider-Man, Into the Spider-Verse, Across the Spider-Verse now, the Dark Knight trilogy, the Batman, the first Guardians, Endgame or Infinity War. I can't remember which one I like better out of those or like the ones that of the last like 20 years or so that I've really, really enjoyed. And I think this is going to come pretty close to the top of that list after having seen it. It's just it's just tough to nudge me in the direction of like being fired up to uh, to see this kind of movie. But I mean. That being said, Adam, you know, you and I both have Letterboxd and we think very deeply and hard about our ratings and a movie that I saw last week that we'll talk about in the future that really moved me deeply and has grabbed hold of my heart in the, the week since got got the same rating f- from me as this film did. Because, you know, when I when I sit down and I see something that's truly great, I'm, I'm going to be honest and acknowledge it. So superhero movie be damned in my own like just, I don't know, lack of an appetite for them. Uh when I was in the seat watching, it was not impacted. This is just a truly great film and one of the best that I've seen this year, even though I've got much to catch up on. I mean, I am going to delve into the realm of personal opinion here, but I I do think it is worth being just a little bit honest about it in terms of, well, why do we cover the movies we cover and why don't we cover what are often, I mean, it's changing. It's changing somewhat, but still what are often the most popular movies that being superhero movies I think there was a phase where it was interesting and we've long gone past that. Uh, I think the movies are generally dumb as rocks. Like they are dealing with nothing, have nothing there. And part of that I think is just a result of the audience is inbuilt. And sometimes if you've got interconnected stories, well, it takes some onus off. Um, what the sixth film in your 15 film plan is because people are already invested they're along for the ride and 
they're incredibly ugly. I mean, and that for me is a big barrier. I even a lot of the superhero films that I've liked in a lot of ways, I don't come out of being like that looks fantastic. Um, or that I really feel like it was exploring interesting ideas. And I, I think part of what's always stood out to me with that is you get directors and they're coming and they're directing, I don't know, a Captain America movie or whatever, and I'll start rattling off all the influences. And this is this long became a Marvel trope where people online would laugh at Marvel directors comparing... I don't know, Marvel film X to like, oh, well, really, you know, we just looked at all the presidents men for this. It's like, okay, come on, like, what are we doing here? I don't think the onus should be on superhero movies to necessarily explore in the most incisive and weightiest way the biggest topics of conversation that exist in the universe. In the universe, I don't think that's what it's about. For a lot of people, that is exactly what they do. And to those people, I tip my hat, I salute you, and I'm glad you get the enjoyment that you do out of them. I don't. I find it incredibly shallow. I don't think there's anything more interesting, though, that superhero movies could explore at this point than what is superhero movie storytelling. Then if we take it away from movies, why are the roots of comic book storytelling? And what does that mean when it's put on screen? What does it mean to make all of these films and particularly this these kind of films in an age of super fandom, in an age of fan demands, and in an age of fan service. And I think generally, you know, films of this ilk just ignore these issues and they will lean into them and they try to make something pleasing and the studio pats themselves on the back and the people involved pat themselves on the back and they make a movie that's generally probably somewhere on a scale of four to six out of 10. And they make hundreds of millions of dollars still, even with dip and everyone goes home happy and they keep doing it and they keep making more and more. And I, I am on the journey to be clear. I'm on the journey. I'm sticking with it. Um, I, I have not missed anything Marvel to date, and I will probably keep up with that. And part of it is a curiosity. It's not because I have a deep fascination or I love those stories. It's much more of, well, if this is one of the driving things in culture, and particularly if this is one of the driving things in movies, whether I like it or not, I want to understand it. I want to have a feel for it. I want to know where it's at, where it's at in its own journey. Um. I will admit I have twice booked tickets to go and see The Flash and I have not seen The Flash and I have fully committed at this point to just being like, yeah, I'll see that you know, at home sometime. I, you know, I'll wait till the Michael Keaton scenes are on YouTube because that's honestly the only parts of that film I'm interested in. Uh, my relationship to DC is very, very different because they've lost it. But there is something, there's something so invigorating about this and for as much as this is Spider-Man, this is a Marvel Comics character, the freedom that comes from Sony's corporate control of that character and being able to tell the stories in a way that is independent of the pressures and the baggage that comes attached to even their live action Spider-Man stuff. Because that has to tie into the world, even though 
in terms of where the money comes coming out of it, it's a very different proposition. Um, as this film showed us, you know, the, the, all those things don't have to be entirely disconnected, but the freedom that allows for the story to take shape like this does come from, I think that remove from greater Marvel projects, from a Marvel house style, from Marvel vision of storytelling, just all of like the stuff that are essentially step-by-step step and almost rules that in now dealing with lesser characters and in a lot of cases with lesser actors or less interesting stars have led to the decline. I mean, let's be honest about it of, of the MCU to this point. I certainly don't, don't want to bet and say, Oh, it's dead or it won't bounce back. It still does pretty well. Um, but compared to where we were around that final phase leading into infinity war, and Endgame, it's night and day. There's no comparison. And I had an interesting experience um, last weekend. I decided to go and see there was a Hans Zimmer season playing in anticipation of the release of Oppenheimer, which also, of course, largely doubled as a Christopher Nolan season. And in one of the cinemas I frequent, they were doing a triple bill of Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. And I've, I just have never really gone for that kind of thing with anything. I've always wanted to. And it's like, oh, I'd love to go and see like original Star Wars trilogy, like a back to back to back. That seems fun. Um, I said, you know what? I'll go along to this. Went along with a buddy. Those movies are really good. <laughs> They're really good. And I've long moved past the point where I'm like, oh, the Dark Knight is great. Like I felt very strongly as like a 15 year old at the time the Dark Knight came out. And I'd probably actually moved somewhat over in the opposite direction. Not of that it's bad, but just kind of, yeah, whatever. But with some distance to it, and then you go and you see it in a big screen, you're like, oh, again, there's like, there's room for something here if we don't see it all the time. And then if, if there is actually something really bold about it, how it's tackled, and if it's tackled in a way that's appropriate for the character of the world in question, and that's really what gets nailed here. I think Spider-Man is probably my favorite superhero. It's definitely, it's between Spider-Man and Batman, and I think that's very boring and predictable on lots of levels, but particularly as they are the two superheroes who have generally had the best track record when it comes to the feature film adaptations of those characters. So for me, that is going to make it much easier for me to be more attached to them. And I am. I 100% am. Um, but I will always be interested in a Spider-Man movie. I, I'm with you on the general feeling of, oh, I've got to go see this. It feels like homework. I do a lot of that homework and not even for like the end purpose of the podcast, but a Spider-Man movie, I'll be there. Like, and that's interesting to me. And even more so uh, with the Spider-Verse storytelling and with the character of Miles Morales, I've been a colossal fan of the, the game series, the Spider-Man game series and the Miles Morales somewhat sequel, kind of bridge sequel that, came out there too and very excited for I guess the real follow-up to to drop later this year and so over like the last six years five years um I've kind of become pretty invested in 
this strand of storytelling. And I do think those two things have probably complemented each other. While people who are big into comics may have been very much on top of the Miles Morales Spider-Man angle. Uh, I think just for normies like me, there has been a real shot in the arm, a real kind of glut of really, really good stuff to further flesh that out and build an understanding. And I think add a whole lot of energy to a world that otherwise we're very familiar with. And I'm going to hand it back to you in a second because I'm monologuing here to set us up somewhat, Andrew. It's not like me, I know. But I, I think one of the things that these films benefit from, and it's certainly in this sequel, one of the things it plays with is the fact that this is not the story we all know and have seen before. It also is the story, but it's smart enough to be able to subvert that and openly play around with that concept because, you know, something that you see any Batman films, and as I did once again last weekend, and I saw the best of the best of what Batman has been like on screen, and still when you see Bruce Wayne's parents get killed you're like jesus christ just we we know we get it and i think miles morales and the way that both in a gaming sense and with the spider first movies the way that that has been brought to the fore for like the widest possible mainstream audience people like you and i not comic book people is a big deal that adds further fuel to a character and a universe that has worked well on screen. And that's really just setting the table beyond, for example, the visual style that comes here through the animation. Do you feel any of that even? Like the is there something, or if even if you think back, because I know you did like the first Spider-Verse film too. Is there something about the Miles Morales of it that freshened up? this world for you because i know there's lots of other things which makes this world uh you know a slightly loaded way of describing it and a not very clear way and we can get into some of that and i think our respective problems with multiversal storytelling shortly but to begin with for the miles morales of it all and then even beyond that the way that I guess these films have opened up the entire the entire run of Spider-Man as a character, the entire history of the character and every variation and all of the interesting, successful, not successful things that have ever been done with the character. Yeah, I think that everything you just said is what makes it so successful for me because you have the familiar beats and the things that we know are canon, which is something that will come come up later uh in the various universes but with miles morales being at the center of the story it changes it a bit and it shifts it enough to be refreshing and just a new take on a character that's so familiar and a fun take because miles is a is a a, a more fun character than uh maybe uh toby mcguire era peter parker may have been and as a kid i love those movies and i think it, specifically for people thereabouts our age adam i think this refresh may be something that's uh very helpful in making it not seem repetitive because i also had a spider-man computer game when i was growing up and it's, i had it too 
and it's the same beats bit by the spider turns into spider-man uncle ben dies blah 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 <laughs> like we know we know how this goes if you're you know and you know we've seen toby mcguire's spider-man andrew garfield's now tom holland's and obviously all the really fun stuff they did tying that all back together uh in no way home uh which I really wonder if the kind of creativity and doing something like that is able to happen without taking a big swing on the first into the Spider-Verse movie. Who can say? I don't know. People know more about the development of these films and the history of the comics than I do, because I certainly don't. But yeah, just having all of the familiarity, but with a kind of a, a new spin with the Miles Morales character holding things in. And then you as you expand the world, you're, you're able to get weird. That's what I love about this movie. Like I had this sensation of watching Into the Spider-Verse and especially across the Spider-Verse that I imagine a lot of people felt with everything everywhere all at once and all the multi-universe of it all. And I think it's just so much more well done um, here and across the Spider-Verse and the differentiation in the characters and the weirdness. And like you said, the, the constantly changing visual style, depending on what universe that they're in and the different types of animation, tying it all together to make one cohesive thing that feels both chaotic and complete at the same time centered around a character that's not what we've come to expect from spider-man and peter parker so yeah i think that is a big key and especially someone like me uh who is coming at it from a normie perspective as you put it uh can really just immerse myself in this new world that that feels like something new we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and I, I think like that is that is part of this that maybe we will get into now, and I, I don't. This feels a little bit different to our usual pods because we are we are way, like we're way behind on this. What are we a month, month post release? Um, it's made six hundred million dollars nearly worldwide. Like people have seen it. Um, I'm not saying that to be like, oh, I'm just gonna start spitting spoilers, but I also. I think we can just kind of get to some of the meat of 
the storytelling, which is probably where you and I are going to be most interested too. In spite of enjoying it and enjoying it from pretty much the off, like being into it very early on, and we've talked about Miles Morales so far, one of the other big strengths is its ability to center Gwen Stacy as Spider-Woman, and again, to just uh, let you be in this world, but to have a completely different perspective for that. Um, When it really started ramping up, the multiverse of it all. I was sitting in my seat and I was just like, Jesus Christ. I like, do we do we just can we just not do this for anything? It's so exhausting. It's in my opinion, working. No, working is actually the wrong word to use there. Because in my opinion, it's not working at all. Almost every time I see it, it is terrible. And I don't get invested in i don't feel like it's saying anything interesting or advancing a story in a way that's even efficient or effective i was like oh this is going so well and i've seen the first film i knew what we were open to but when it fully starts to open up and i'm like is this just gonna get really annoying this is a long movie am i gonna be really bored of the the way they use the multiverse and much to my pleasant surprise, I was not, because I think they do everything they can to make sure they don't fall into those traps. And that if they are going to open up a door that gives you the possibility of every universe and every Spider-Man that's ever existed, you know what? Well, let's basically show people every Spider-Man that's ever existed. Or let's make sure that we're sampling a wide enough array of those, an interesting collection of personalities, and beyond that, we're not just going to show you them because we're like, oh, this is a multiversal story and this is what we do now. We're actually going to make that work and we're going to position those characters within the story so all of this means something. I'm going to take a guess that you had a similar experience because I can't imagine you greeting any glimpses of the multiverse with a whole lot of enthusiasm, particularly if, you know, there was somewhat of a homework feeling before you got to your seat. I I feel like we might have been on the same kind of path with, oh no, not this again. Um, yes and no. I think I was optimistic, uh, just because uh, I was like you and a lot of other people I respect aren't going to just be. I wrong. guess the the timing of uh, it you saw probably helped. Yeah, like. You liked it. A lot of other people that, you know, whose opinions I value on the film liked it. So I'm like, okay, at the very least, I'm not going to come out of this being like contrarian. This was terrible. That being said, you know, my appetite for multiverses, we'll call it, is not like I, I'm not looking at, at it like just a, a giant bowl of soup that I'm ready to destroy. Uh, I, we were having uh, ramen this weekend and I'm really excited about it. So, <laughs> um, but I think. There was some movie I can't remember a long time ago that we talked about, like how aware of being online or meme culture it was to the point where it became exhausting. Maybe like Knives Out or something. Uh, Glass Onion. I don't remember. It was, it, was was, it was Glass. It was definitely Glass Onion. Whereas I think this takes a simple meme, which is a Spider-Man pointing meme, and kind of just makes like part of the movie about that, but without actually onwardly addressing it. And I think it really works if you uh, understand that joke. Uh, and then I think the distinctness of just the various 
uh, other Spider-Men that we weave in. Uh, Spider-Punk was great. Uh, I thought Daniel Kaluuya was hilarious. He, I'm pretty sure he was who voiced that character. Um, like you said, Gwen Stacy is sort of Miles' introduction into this world of all the Spider-Men. Uh, his, oh yeah, uh, Spider-Punk's name was Hobie. Uh, I, right. I liked, I liked that aspect of it as well. Uh, and then uh, going to, to Mumbai was just like the effortlessly cool Go, uh, Spider-Man to, to Mumbai. By the way, Mumbatton. Sorry, uh, they probably can't use real city names, right? It's not. That's uh, not. No, uh, they absolutely can. I mean, where's Spider Man? Oh yeah, city? Brooklyn. Oh yeah, Brooklyn. He's a he's a Brooklynite. I mean, but that's obviously there's an alternate universe where Mumbai is Manhattan. It's called Mumbatton. There you, I. There you go. I don't know. Uh, Pavatir Prabhakar, I think, is the is Indian Spider Man. Yes. Which I mean, maybe we talk about that scene in a bit more detail later. But I was Yeah. That's where I was like, Oh, this is phenomenal. Like I am I could not be more in the whole thing just came alive. I'm like, this is just this is seriously cool and entertaining. And like this is the kind of fun you can and should have with this. I think I got goosebumps during that part. Yeah, I honestly just... it's it's <laughs> phenomenal. It's my favorite part of the film. Um it might be my favorite stretch honestly of any film so far this year i in part i think just because of the surprise of oh this is working as well as it could possibly work like i i don't think you can conceive the ideas in this movie put them down on paper discuss them and yeah, like you couldn't imagine a best case scenario where they work out as well as they actually do like I, it's a very rare feeling where i'm kind of like this film kind of feels perfect to me. Now, on a lot of levels, there are things that, I mean, it is still a superhero movie. It's an animated movie. So as points of comparison go, that's tough. I really, really struggle to see what could have been better. What could have, like, what I could have enjoyed more, or appreciated more. Um, so that is that is the moment for me where I was like, yeah, this is this is not, this is not even what the first one was, which, again, a lot of people just absolutely adored. I liked it. It just didn't land with me in the way that it seemed to land with everyone else. I was very, very excited that I flipped around. And in this case, that proved not to be the case. Um, I think that stretch also eventually serves the overarching story better than I thought it was going to while it was happening. It wasn't just al- like it's always serving the story, I think, is which you, it's not apparent at the time. But I mean, this is if you're if you have a well constructed movie, all the pieces matter at the end to go full wire for a second. And I, I do think that is part of what happens here. Yeah, I agree. And just there are movies that do something for the sake of doing it. And I I didn't get the sense of in this at all, even while I was enjoying kind of like the thrill ride of the constant action and jokes um, as we learn about <laughs> these other worlds at the same time Miles does. And uh, uh, Jason Schwartzman as the the uh, villain of the week, as he the was risively called. Yeah, the spot. Yeah. Uh, tremendous. It, it all just, yeah, just really came together nicely and then also propels kind of the final act of the film and what will be <laughs> Miles' predicament until it's resolved in the next one. 
Yeah, and I, even something like the spot, I mean, the thing with that is you alluded to, oh, we know the story so well, and it's like you're just waiting for the Green Goblin or Doc Ock or whatever, and we've had versions of this, and they've also been clever enough and now they've subverted it in this franchise already. I I have no idea what the spot is outside of this. I did not know what the spot was going into this. So... And I, I actually think that the character is set up sufficiently and it because it's done so early and in such a just kind of cheap comical way where you're like, oh, that's cool. Jason Schwartzman's got 10 minutes of this Spider-Man movie and like, yeah, the real villain will be along later. Which is not what's happening. I mean, there's an element of that that happens, but it's not the big, the big bad and the, I guess the narrative driver is the spot and it is Jason Schwartzman. I think the other thing, to get back to something you alluded to earlier, um, in kind of, in you pointing at the Spider-Man pointing of all of this, and in the understanding of what's online, I think the difference between something like this and Glass Onion, Glass Onion feels like a film that took everything that people are going to like or recognize or just it just will feel is online and it just spat it back at them this film took everything about online spider-man and superhero fandom it subverted the hell out of it and it turned the finger back around and pointed back at those people honestly at times with a little bit of disdain for the kind of i think the kind of superhero fan that i would personally think are among the worst people on the planet and I think these films just routinely will treat with kid gloves. And the whole premise of this film, when you get into it, like the real meat of it and the ideas about canonical events and what happens when you change them. And I, I think the actual subversion of characters and I think a lot of just a lot of Easter eggs and things that have been dropped in that have sparked lots of conversation, but also like quite genuinely just feel like they were there to piss off the absolute worst people who love these movies and be like, stop gatekeeping this, you annoying nerds. Like, this is not what you think it is. This is what we want to make it. And you should love the characters, embrace the characters and be willing to go on the journey. It should not be. But this can't happen because, and that character would never look like this or be like this. Uh, that is something that, again, I just feel like this is where, at this point, because this is not a new genre anymore, it's like, it is in its maturity, it is in the stage where it should be mostly, you know, in the realm of pastiche. This is this is what has happened to other genres over time. I mean, we're maybe not at the point where we have full like blazing blazing saddles superhero movie but we're not that far away from that in terms of if you were to compare the lifespan or that you know we've got like scary movie I, like this is the kind of point it feels like superhero movies are at in terms of maturation and what is the usual cycle for a genre of film and yet we we haven't got to that place of just kind of full-on laughing at them so it feels like the best thing that could possibly be done is for it just to be interrogated. They're like, so what's the big deal about all of this? Or why does this matter? Or how can we make it more interesting? It would be the first thing if someone said to me, 
you have to make a superhero movie that I would think about. I'll admit that comes from not being the most ardent fan of all these films. But I do think it is always going to deliver the freshest, most interesting story. And one that if people go along for the ride, it should work for the people who are most devoted and connected to the characters and most invested in these films being the thing that is the most dominant thing on the planet and that everyone loves because we're getting further and further away from that as the movies just suck. Uh, like I, I don't know. Maybe we can talk anecdotally about this too. I, I think a lot of people that I would know of who would like just have casually gone see a lot of MCU movies. And it's like Robert Downey Jr. And Chris Evans around. Like They're not going to see the new stuff. <laughs> they're, they're not interested in, I don't know, Black Widow, which is even maybe the higher end of the scale, and I shouldn't be pinning it on that. They're not interested in whatever the hell that last Ant-Man movie was. Like, it's it's not working like that anymore. You're losing the grip on the people that made these the highest performing films ever. Um, They're the kind of people, they're still out there, like, they went to see Top Gun Maverick. They might go and see Barbie. <laughs> I think I'm based on, I don't know if you saw any of it. The early tracking for Barbie is very, very strong. And I, I actually think that they're out far enough in front of that, that that could be an interesting test case. Now there's also the possibility that it comes out and it pisses off all the people who think they're going to like it in day one. And then it has a really tough time retaining audience. But I like, I think there's all these normal people. They're going to movies. I just don't think these are the movies they're choosing as much. And probably because it took so long for people to be like, yeah, we just don't need everyone in the audience to be bored of this story. We don't need to only be playing to the people who wanted to follow the rules or want to tap the person on the shoulder beside them and say, oh, well, this story is from, you know, X, X comic book writer and X artist and a run that they did between 1981 and 1982. And like, who cares? It's, it's, it's not what this should be about particularly at the point of adaptation. So for me, like that is the thing that again, probably got me even more on board with it because I'm like, there are moments where this film is borderline showing disdain for, well, I think the worst elements of that fandom are, it's not everyone who likes superhero movies, but I, I think the kind of fandom that actually has made these movies worse and has forced them to stagnate a little bit because to take the risk of irritating those people <laughs> is what's going to get you all of the backlash. Like it, it may not actually hurt your bottom line. It may help it. If you make a more interesting movie when it hits multiplexes and, you know, husband and wife in their thirties, all of a sudden are like, yeah, well, I guess we don't mind seeing a superhero movie. Let's go see that one. But if you lose that and you're just getting your comic book audience, you're in trouble. So for me, I was like, Oh hell yeah that they actually they don't care and they want to make a point of showing those people yeah here's all the spider-man you ever dreamt of but that comes at a price and part of that price is we're going to teach you a little bit about you know canon and about how storytelling works and how movies work and uh, remind you that you don't actually own these characters uh yeah you know, I, I never, I never want to piss off the comic book audience, Adam. I love them deeply, 
Why? They're not uh, listening to us. Have you seen our numbers? They're definitely not listening to us. Uh, I'm also self-referencing many hours of podcast tape where I do just what I said I would never do. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this this movie kind of takes the piss out of canon a little bit, I guess is a good way to say it. Uh, I mean, you know, Oscar Isaac and the nerds care about it, but, uh, you know, that's about it. Uh, 30 year old couples on Wednesday nights going to see Cross the Spider Birds. That was my that was my Wednesday, Adam. So you, you summed I me said, up right I said, there. I said late thirties, I believe. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm still in my early You're 30s, you're so. you're good. It's not you yet. Yeah. Um But uh, you know what? You did go and see it, and your wife did like what did want to go and see it? Mm-hmm. Yep. She temporarily forgot that it was going to be a sequel to from Into the Spider-Verse, which she also liked in the scene and thought it was going to be the next Tom Holland movie. But then once she got in there, she was like, oh yeah, this is this one. That's fine. So there was a little bit of that, but I think she's the perfect example of the type of people that you're saying uh, will only see these movies if they're not gatekeeping them with canon and Easter eggs and all that thing. I mean, she's a perfect example of that. Oh, I really want to go see the new Spider-Man movie. Do I have to... Have I had to have, like been memorized some sort of comic bullshit i don't care do, about do i no. need to be up to date on secret invasion you know it's right. just literally it's and no one cares even i'm not up to date in secret invasion yet um did your wife like it yeah it's it got lots of laughter i want to i want to say another thing uh we've had a conversation about how rough it's been for for comedy the last few years it's, this is a very a funny movie funny movie very funny movie in a kind of like I don't know. That's something that I find both interesting and tough too. Like, this is a Lord and Miller screenplay, and they have been, you know, the producers with Amy Pascal at the helm of this Spider Verse venture. That's kind of great, and it's also, I don't know. I mean, there's been a lot of uh, conversation with the release of No Hard Feelings, the Jennifer Lawrence R-rated comedy, but comedies like that aren't made anymore, and people don't respond to it in quite the same way they used to, or certainly they don't go and buy tickets when they're made, or that was the reason it stopped. So everyone just kind of, I don't know, wistfully is like, oh, remember when they used to make comedies? Lord and Miller have not directed a film to its completion, I will say, because they did some directing on Solo. I don't know how much it ended up in Ron Howard's movie, but they did do some direction on that. Um, they have not directed a feature film since 22 Jump Street. And 21 and 22 Jump Street were two films that I remember having a really significant, like, wide-reaching impact on like people just around me in my life again in this way we're talking about where it's like everyone's like oh yeah seen that that's great that's fun where they second lives on streaming and i will add to that where i didn't hate them they were they were broad like mainstream studio comedies and i was like yeah it's good um now obviously the, the other thing that lord and miller did was launch the Lego movie world and direct the original one of those which is certainly where the spirit of this and i think being able to understand, oh, this works and you can do this 
comes from and before that they directed Cloudy with a chance of meatballs so their their lineage is very much there but part of me is also like oh there was a version of those guys that might have been the mainstream comedy directors that hasn't happened but they still very much have that they haven't lost that fastball and to be able to you know pack a movie that's this good otherwise with jokes of the caliber they do and just with writing that feels that kind of quick-witted kind of feels unfair <laughs> because you've got everything else that's just working in its favor to then add that to the mix it really is one of those things that just kind of push it to another level entirely so i agree completely an unbelievably funny film I think the thing we haven't really dwelled on enough to this point as well, which is unavoidable. This movie is like a feast for the senses. It is absolutely stunning to look at. And it's so alive. This is a long movie. It's about, what, 2 hours 20, 2 hours 25. I did not feel that at all. I saw it a couple of times. Like, that's a really long time that even a movie that you like you're probably gonna be like oh, this is it's quite a long movie i personally didn't experience that and i just think because it's so immersive as an experience because the visuals are so so sumptuous um i i think the soundtrack and the music choices were a big deal in the first film too but both the score from daniel pemberton and the soundtrack choices again work great here and it's just like you've it's got everything i I don't know. I'm I'm almost running out without being like, did we just go like beat for beat through this? Which we're not going to do because people have seen it. But it's very rare that I feel like we have a movie to talk about, certainly a contemporary release, where it just kind of feels quite as flawless as this one does for me. Um, maybe one way I could try that to you is, do you like, do you have nits to pick here, or are there things that that bothered you or was there anything that just didn't quite work for you because again as is quite clear this really kind of hit on all cylinders for me um there there was a period once uh we'll call it the reveal to him uh at that point and like what it meant for him where i thought there were some points in the middle there where the, the big chase were going on with we'll call it or whatever and he's gotta try and find his way to get out and some of that I was just with like all the, with all the Spider-Man I mean the, the yeah. big Spider-Man chase looks really good though yeah it looks good I was just bored uh, during okay. like a, a five to ten minute snapshot uh, and then he he gets to the Jake Johnson Spider-Man in like the little underground area and then I think it like picked back up so it was like maybe like a three minute snippet where I'm just like I don't care about a chase through this warehouse kind of a thing or whatever it is but other than that like not really like I think it's I think another thing I don't know if you mentioned this um, you might have I, th I think I just got a phishing attempt on my cell phone text so I was distracted for about 45 nice. seconds of uh, of your uh, of your talk there so apologies if you mentioned this i think the voice cast is just knocked out of the park it's amazing uh, like even something where you're like okay like where you could be like this is a bit much but like the andy samberg sad spider-man i thought's hilarious <laughs> already mentioned daniel kaluuya Haley seinfeld as gwen stacy great like you can see like the 
the confidence uh, of why kind of Miles has that reverence for her, but also the vulnerability in dealing with a world she's new to and also her father. I think she brings a lot of heart and toughness to that character. Schwartzman already mentioned, Jake Johnson, Brian Tyree Henry, um, Mahershala Ali is back, Oscar Isaac I mentioned, who uh, is basically playing a cartoon villain as a superhero, and I think it works perfectly. I'm never going to be... Uh, upset with Oscar Isaac popping up, Issa Rae. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was uh, as close to perfect as it could be. And like you said, like maybe there's a high barrier to entry for me with any kind of comic book movie, even the best of the best. And like I ha- had we, I, I was really just like debating before you and I had potentially made plans on Friday. I was going to a movie with family and they wanted to see something I had no interest in. I was asked you, should I see Asteroid City again or Past Lives again? And then in my mind, as I was sending that message, I said, or I could just go see Spider-Verse again. And that's, that's for me, that's like, yeah, that's I can't good. believe I'm saying that. Yeah, that's, that's certainly a testament to it. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is, this is a spoiler. So if you if you haven't if you haven't seen the film, this will be the time you should pause, go check out Spider. We're still playing in theaters, certainly in this part of the world. I'm sure it is at the moment in the US before like it gets walled out by absolute mega blockbusters and it gets moved on. Um but one of the things that was one of the only real criticisms I saw. Um, a real bone of contention for a lot of people was the ending. And this truly and utterly baffled me. Um, But there was quite a lot of pushback because this film ends on a cliffhanger. And this idea of, I've watched two hours, 20 minutes, and you haven't ended your movie. Which I, I was just fascinated by this. I mean, I saw this I know this was a line that kind of filtered into some of the audience reaction, which I don't want to suggest audience reaction was like largely poor. It certainly wasn't. Um, but also I saw some critics take this approach and I, I found it to be very strange. There are strong parallels to some extent, I think with other part twos of trilogies here. Um, Empire Strikes Back is certainly one that I think when you look at where Empire Strikes Back ends are very close to it and certainly what you're you're left thinking about at the end of Empire Strikes Back is not dissimilar to what happens here and it's already like yeah it's known this is a three part thing I don't there was some of this kind of happened with Dune when Dune ended as part one I don't know I didn't get it and I I'll tell you the thing I liked most about this is it felt like an act of embracing that this is a comic book movie and these things are serialized and this is how you would end a comic book because you want someone to go and pick up the next issue. And I, I found that really clever and really endearing in a way that like it's not <laughs> like this is something that's been baked into Marvel movies too with with terrible cliffhangers that would come at the end of the credits. You know, I, I, part of me was like, is this just audiences have been programmed to process superhero movie endings in an entirely different way. So this is now, this is now not it for people. 
I don't know. I just found it very strange because I thought the ending is great. I love the movie. And I think the movie kind of reaches the end points it needs to. And then it sets itself back up where I'm like, oh, hell yeah. I'm opening day. I'm going to see the, the third film in this series. And I just, it works. Like, it's entertaining. It works. And to me, it's true to the spirit of comic books. And maybe not like what has become comic book or superhero filmmaking. But again, I like it all the more for that by being like, yeah, let's let's treat this like the thing it is. Let's treat it like... Like this is like a serial on TV or like this is a comic book and we need you to buy the next issue. Yeah, I I could tell we were ramping up to an ending point that was going to feature exactly what it featured because I think they built the tension and the suspense really well as they went up to but we see Miles get himself into this predicament. And I, I thought all the reveals along the way where we learned this is something's not right here. I think all of those were really well done. And uh, obviously consistent with what we know as these universes can be the same but different. And I thought that really worked well. And then, like you said, at the end, <laughs> we're we're putting the band back together. It's time to time to ride on and get our guy uh, uh, in the next movie. Uh, I had not seen. I don't think the the backlash to the ending. Um, so that's a bit surprising this to is, me. Listen, it, you come three weeks after the fact, and you you. You've ignorance is bliss because you don't come out of the movie and be like, oh, what are people saying about this right now? You've missed you've missed the wave of backlash and you just get the overall glow. Like you I might be onto a few something. things. I, I can't work like that, but I do think it might give you a nicer experience. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I was not seeing all the chatter where people are like movies have, can't end with a without a conclusion that I'm satisfied with. Damn it not like there's going to be a new movie in i guess a year is what they haven't listed but that seems audacious. i am very skeptical obviously they have yeah. long been at work on that but when you just see like this is a movie where you're like god it was five years ago what did they be what did they be doing for five years everyone love that movie did you see and you're like oh okay this is what they've been doing for five years listen i'm more than happy with summer 2025 just to make sure they get it right that's fine i i do think like that is possibly also part of how I like this so much or admired it. Even the very best films I see, I can come out of, and I'm not saying this with some kind of like, I could do that, but I can come out with like a, a rational ability to be like, I can imagine a world where someone puts that together. I cannot comprehend sitting down with a blank page and writing a script that is this movie and then even beyond that, because it is animated and it's animated on the scale that it is, and you're going to be having different animation studios all around the world, and the level of collaboration is insane, that all of those pieces are managed and they come together to be this. Like uh, the degree of difficulty here is maybe just as high as it gets. Uh, like it's it's something that I just, as soon as I came out of it, I was like, I, I do not know how they did that. And not in a like, that particular thing technically kind of way as much as it just i i don't know how any group of people bring that whole project together and have it come out like that because it genuinely it seems just about as difficult as like i i don't want to undermine lots of really difficult things that are more important than movie making but a project of this scope this level of creativity 
and with the pressure attached to it too. I mean, the name value attached and for it to come out like this blows my mind. I just, I cannot still, like it's nearly a month since I first saw it. Can't wrap my head around how you do that. I, I don't know how this starts as a germ and someone puts it together like this and every visual gag and everything that goes into this movie is conceived and executed to the way it is. It's it's a level of filmmaking and of storytelling that is quite literally beyond my comprehension. Yeah, I agree. Uh, excited for, for the next one. And, uh, you know, I just have to tip my cap and apologize to the uh, the creators Andrew did, of this. Andrew did. He even he took his hat off. He didn't just tip it for for those of you. Well, everyone except me who couldn't see. Yeah, we have faces for audio, and we're gonna we're gonna keep it that way. Uh, yeah, just tip tip my cap to the directors, the writers, the animators, the voice actors, and you know I apologize for for taking so long to see it. You know I do this often with uh with films, except with uh except with films that are getting limited run in my uh. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is North Carolina. Get better with how long you keep your movies in theaters. Um, but yeah, it was it was worth the wait. And you know, apologies for doubting you. Shout out to Joaquin DeSantis, Camp Paris, Justin K. Thompson. They are the directors of this film, and they did a hell of a job. Everyone involved did an absolutely incredible job. Um, ah, I love this movie. I don't know, maybe. Maybe by the time we come to the end of the year, where I do think I'll be talking about this film in some capacity again, when I say the end of the year, that means next year on our schedule. Um, I'll have a whole variety of other things and maybe, I don't know, some smarter, more astute things. Uh, maybe maybe this was our best analysis. Maybe it was our worst. I don't know. I Just part of, like, I guess what, the romantic ideal of movies is should be this sense of awe or wonder. And uh Spider-Man Across Spider-Wars gave me that. Like I, I think on all levels, just like immensely entertaining, like as good as your kind of popcorn experience can get in a way where I think we've been quite fortunate. We've had a few films that have done that over the past 18 months or so. And then on top of that, level of craft is completely off the charts. All right. I think that does it for us for now. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about Asteroid City, the latest film from Wes Anderson. Well, it's probably some of Wes Anderson's wider filmography. Uh, one of our collective favorite directors. I don't know. I'll have to work out how to describe the way in which he's my favorite director. I feel like saying he's my favorite contemporary director feels right, and then you realize like he's now in his 50s. Um, which it still makes him contemporary, but I don't, I don't know. Schrader's still just pumping movies out, so I've got, a, I've got a factor in for that too. One of my true, true favorites. Um, I think a, a North Star of such for this podcast. So make sure you check out Asteroid City and come back to talk about that. I am looking forward to next week and talking to you about that, Adam. He's one of my favorites as well. And you should also check out all things GSPN. That includes Eurostep Podcast Network main feed, home for all things Milwaukee Books, the Eurostep, and Win in Six. Time with Shimron Kadi, plus myself and Jordan Tresky. It is free agency week. It is 
Uh, I don't know if it's make, but it could be break if it goes wrong for the Milwaukee Bucks. Lots of big things to come. We'll be talking about it all, breaking it all down. So if you are interested in Milwaukee Bucks basketball, Eurostep Podcast Network, the main feed in the network, that will have you covered. Cruising for bruising. For all things Milwaukee Brewers, that's where you can also get more from Andrew and I. Are the Brewers on the up? Really hard to say. Who could honestly who could say with anything? Are they on the up? Are they on the down? Are they like are they just stuck on the one spot? Are they running on the spot? That might be the best analogy for the 2023 Milwaukee Brewers. They're um, like Forrest Gump on that park bench. Seems like he's been there a while. So yeah, if if that gets your juices flowing, you want more Milwaukee Brewers talk. Cruiser for bruising will have you covered for that. And of course, for all things Green Bay Packers, subscribe to Talk of the Tundra. Neil Mac and Jordan are on top of it all over there. This has been an episode of Make Time for This. Make sure you subscribe. Check in for all our upcoming episodes. Good time at the movies. Great episodes to come. Until the next time. Thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Adam. <laughs>